right. Thank you. Thank you so much to all of our volunteers that came and, and helped put out the decorations, uh, both getting the service, getting ready for the service, and then during the service today, we appreciate you. I know it can be kind of a little bit nervous, uh, not, you know, get up in front of people and not exactly knowing how to do everything, but you did a wonderful job, and we appreciate you being, being willing to do it. All of our Christmas decorations have a purpose. They symbolize different things. But sometimes we forget what it is all about. We forget what they mean. They, we forget their purpose. And we just kind of look at them. We think they're pretty. Or maybe we don't like them. But uh, we, we don't remember what it is all about. And so I like this service that it just gives us a chance to, to remember a little bit about it. But just like our Christmas decorations, each and every one of us also have a purpose. We're here for a reason, but life happens and we get busy and things go on in the world. It's such a fast paced thing. We forget often why we are here and who we are and what is our purpose. And so that's what we've been talking about through this series of messages. Last week, we learned about God's prevenient grace, the grace of God that starts helping us before we are even cognizant of it, even before we are aware, even before we are born. It is the grace of God that says, I'm going to create a person. I'm going to design them. I'm going to mold them in just such a way with certain personality characteristics because I have a purpose for them. And so the grace of God creates you. You are born and the grace of God works in your life through God directly and also through the hands of your parents and other people that love you so that you can grow up in the faith and hopefully one day decide for yourself that you will fulfill the purpose that God has given you. But it is the prevenient grace that works to bring you to that point. Today, I want to talk about justifying grace. It's what happens in a moment when you make a decision. In order to get us on this path, I want to read to you from Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done, so none of us can boast about it, for we are God's masterpiece, and he, create, he has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So in this passage, it says you are saved by grace when you believe. You are saved, but if you're being saved, what are you being saved from? You are being saved from, and this is described in a, a lot of different ways, but basically what it comes down to is you are being saved from eternal separation from God. You see, God made each and every one of us, and he designed us specifically to have a personal relationship of love between us and our creator. That is the thing that we need to truly have peace and to feel at one with ourselves and with the universe is to have that relationship with God. If we are missing that relationship, 
then there's always going to be something important and essential within your character and your spirit that is unfulfilled. And so in the Bible, it talks about having a relationship with God or being separated from God. It talks about being blessed or being damned. It talks about being uh, with God for eternity in heaven or being uh, separated from him forever in hell, being uh, expending eternity, finding peace and wholeness and healing and harmony or finding uh, punishment and torturous existence. Basically, it's being separated from the source of life, God, our creator. So we need to be saved from that separation because though God created us on purpose, with a purpose, we chose to walk away from God. And so we have turned our back on him and we've turned our, ironically, we have turned our back on the thing that we need the most. But God gives us the choice to love him and to remain connected with him or to turn away. And all of humanity turns away. And so that's what we need to be saved from. Because when we turn away from God, Romans 3.23 tells us that we all turn away from God. says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 says... The wages or the consequences of that sin is death. It is a spiritual and physical death. We turned away from the source of our life and peace and happiness. We cannot fix that brokenness. We have to be saved from it. And how are we saved? Is it by doing good things? No, the scripture says you are saved by grace. And what is grace? Grace is the unearned, undeserved, divine assistance of God. That is the definition of grace. You are saved by the undeserved, unearned, divine assistance of God when you believe. When you put your faith in God through Jesus Christ... And belief is more than just an intellectual thing. It says you are saved by grace when you believe. It's not that you look at a list of things about God that you believe. No, it is that you believe. It's an active kind of belief. We all have hopefully had some good food this week. Um, do you ever think about the fact that you kind of put your health and well-being in the hands of another person whenever you go to their house and eat their, eat their food, right? And you know, turkey is not a big old hunk. We had a 15-pound turkey. That's not something that people cook every day. So it's a lot of things that can go wrong with that big bird. But you went to, suppose you went to your mother-in-law's house and you, you believe in your mother-in-law. You believe that she would not serve you food that is not healthy to eat. You believe and you trust that she cooked the turkey to the correct internal temperature, that she did everything beforehand, that she thawed that turkey properly so that it didn't get some kind of salmonella in it or whatever that's going to make you sick. So you see, you can say, I believe that my mother-in-law's food 
is safe and healthy to eat. But you don't really believe it until you take a bite, right? That is real belief. That is belief. And that's the kind of belief that when we are, we are saved by God's grace, when we believe in Christ. Not just a bunch of things that we assent are correct about him. No, we believe in him enough that we're going to trust him. We're going to listen to what he says. We're going to walk the path he lays out before us. That is the kind of belief that enacts the grace that saves us. Now, all Christians of different colors and stripes believe in God's grace. It's the hallmark of what it really means to be a Christian. We are not saved by our good deeds. Ephesians says, salvation is not a reward for the good things you have done. A popular belief about Christianity is if you're a good person, then God will save you. But that is antithetical to what it means to be a Christian. Ephesians says, no, salvation is not a reward for anything good that you've done. It is grace that has saved you. Now that grace has saved you for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, for he creates us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we're saved to do good things, but we're not saved because of our good things. We're saved by grace, which is unearned and undeserved. And all Christians, all true Christians believe in God's grace. But Methodism has a distinctive, holistic approach to grace. We talked about last week how we believe that God's grace is already working in our lives before we've done anything, before we've even had a thought in our head. When we are being formed in our mother's wombs, God's grace is already at work on our behalf. So grace goes all the way back. But we believe that you must also Make a conscious personal choice. There's a part of God's grace that doesn't kick in until you make a choice. So you can't just go along, you know, and say, well, I was, God's grace was there when I was formed in my mother's womb and I was born as a baby and I was baptized as an infant and my parents brought me to church since before I could ever remember. And I'm a Christian because... I go to a Christian church, I live in a Christian community, my parents are Christians, and I've just always, always been a Christian. But there's a part that says in our Christian Methodist thinking, yes, God's grace is there, but part of that grace doesn't take effect until you believe. We call that justifying grace. It, what you do what you believe and the choice you make does matter. We also believe that something happens after you are saved. There's a grace that comes after that, and we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But today, I want to talk about justifying grace. When you put your faith in Jesus, you are justified. And what does it mean to be justified. Since I've got my sister 
here, I'm going to pick on her. Y'all know what a Red Ryder BB gun is, right? And you're not supposed to give them to kids because they'll do what? Right. My mom's here too. Um, my brother, my older brother, eight years older than me, had a Red Ryder BB gun. I loved that thing. I wanted it so bad. And, uh, of course, he grew up, and he didn't want it anymore, so I wanted that gun. But my mom was afraid <laughs> to let a little kid have a Red Ryder BB gun because you might shoot your eye out. And was I mature enough to handle that BB gun safe? Now, it's a Red Ryder BB gun, right? It's not like a high-powered rifle, but it could shoot your eye out. <laughs> um, and so... I wanted it, but she wouldn't give it to me. She wouldn't give it to me until finally, reluctantly, I was old enough and she thought mature enough she would give me that Red Rider BB gun. And I was so excited. Katie, do you remember this? So excited. And I had my friend Paul come over and we were playing with this Red Rider BB gun. And Katie is two years younger than me, which now is fine. But when you're a kid, two years younger is just you're an irritating little pest. And when my friends come over, you won't leave us alone to play with our Red Ryder BB gun. She's following us everywhere, getting on our nerves. And I said to her, you, would you just leave us alone? And of course, no, she's not going to leave us alone. She's going to keep pestering us. And so I took that Red Rider BB gun and I pointed it at her and I said, if you don't leave us alone, I'm going to shoot you. Now, I had no intention of actually shooting my little sister. I just was threatening her. And she didn't care. And so I pointed it at the ground near her feet and I pulled the trigger and it shot her in the foot. Now, this is a Red Rider BB gun. It doesn't even leave a mark on her foot. But she cried as if she had been shot with a high-caliber rifle in the foot. And, of course, went and ran and told my mom, he shot me in the foot. And my mom's like, oh, my gosh, you still have toes. <laughs> and, um, and, of course, now I'm in trouble <laughs> and I tried to justify my actions by saying, I didn't mean to shoot her in the foot. I really wasn't trying to shoot her in the foot. It was an accident. That doesn't justify it, right? And the fact that it's a Red Rider BB gun and not a, you know, a rifle doesn't justify it. There's no justification for pointing even a BB gun at someone and pretending like you're going to shoot them, let alone shooting them. And so I lost privileges to the Red Rod BB gun again, as I should, because obviously I was not mature enough yet to be trusted to handle the Red Rider BB gun safely. But that's justification. What does it mean to be justified? Well, could you think of a time when you break the rules when you would be justified? Suppose you had been lost in the woods for three days and you hadn't had anything to drink and you stumble across after three days and you're dying, of, literally dying of thirst and you stumble into a pond of water 
and you rush down into the water and you fall into it and you, you drink handfuls and handfuls of water and you look up and you see a rancher standing there with a shotgun pointing at the sign that says, do not trespass. But would you be justified because you were literally about to die of thirst and you drank the water? So the question is, am I justified in this or not? So this is what it means to be justified. You have been declared, your actions have been declared innocent for one reason or another. And you can think about a lot of different reasons why you might break the rules or break the law, and maybe it was justified. There is a, you know, you could be justified for killing someone if it was done legitimately in self-defense. That might be justified by the law of our land. Well, as human beings, we have turned away from God. There's no justification for it. God gave us, he made us perfectly. He made the world around us perfect in every way. And, he, and, he, and he, in the story in Genesis, he only gave them one rule. Don't eat from this one tree, this fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat it. You can do anything else, but don't do that. And yet, the story says Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. And there's no justification for it. No legitimate reason why they should. But they did. And so we have all inherited that nature where we want to turn away from God. And there's no justification for it whatsoever. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 16 says, He, God, is the potter, and he is certainly greater than you, the clay. Should the created thing say to the one who made it, He didn't make me? Does a jar ever say to the potter, you made me, you who made me is stupid? Isaiah 53, 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We've all left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. We've all turned away from God and there's no justification for it except that the Lord laid on Jesus the penalty for our sin. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, we can be justified, not because we deserve it or we've earned it, but by God's undeserved, unearned grace, we can be declared innocent because Christ has already paid the penalty. He has already paid for what we did. And so therefore, through Christ, we can be justified. Methodists teach the justifying grace of God. Justifying grace is the undeserved, undeserved, undeserved divine assistance of God that makes us innocent. Provenient grace works to draw us to him gives us the wisdom to see that God is there and he's been there all along. Helps us to notice that we really have not been living out our purpose in God. And the, just, and the provenient grace of God enables us to choose God. But you still have to make a choice. And when you choose... 
to follow God through Christ. God justifies you with his justifying grace. Now, other denominations, this is not only Methodists that do this, other denominations also teach justification. But John Wesley, who founded the Methodist movement, and those early Methodists were at the very beginning helping to drive Protestant Christians to rediscover this essential idea that we need to be born again. Now, this is something that goes all the way back to Jesus, the idea of needing to be born again. But for so many centuries, Christians had drifted away from that idea because mostly Christians grew up in a, a country that was Christian and everybody was just Christian. You were just Christian by default. You were born into a Christian family and a Christian community. And there was never any thought of the fact that your Christianity ought to actually change you. And John Wesley comes along, he says, there has to be more. And he knew this from personal experience. John Wesley was an incredibly devout person. He was, he was uh, as a young adult, he went to seminary to become an Anglican priest. He was so, he felt like in order to know for sure that I am saved and I'm going to be with God for eternity, then I've got to be perfect. And he was so serious about it that he kept journals, not like a daily journal. It was like an hourly journal. Every hour he would write in his journal his thoughts. Did he have any unclean thoughts? Had he treated anybody wrong? Had he, did it, had he lived his life completely perfect and without sin. He was that committed because he believed that that's what it took to truly be saved. He was so committed to Christ that he hopped on a, a ship in the 1700s and traveled across the Atlantic Ocean on a mission to the new world before it was the United States. He was going to be a missionary to the Native American Indians. He wanted to help convert them to Christ. All the way across the ocean, even though he had done everything he could to be, live a perfect life, he felt like he was afraid to die because if he died at any moment, and he could die at any moment, he would go to hell for it. He failed miserably in his mission to the American Indians and returned to England thinking himself a failure because no matter how hard he tried to earn salvation, he couldn't do it. And so he was sitting one day in a town at a place called Aldersgate, and he was listening to the reading of scripture from Romans. And he, it finally, the prevenient grace of God opened his eyes, and he realized he could never be good enough to earn God's love, but he didn't have to be good enough. He had to simply believe and trust in Christ and be saved by God's grace. And all of a sudden, he felt his heart was strangely warm because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God actually loved him. Not because he was such a good person, but in spite of the fact that he wasn't a good person. And God saved him. He was what we would call today born again. He became a new person. You know, you, are, you have your first birth where you're born as a baby. 
And the provenient grace of God, which is often signified through infant baptism, brings you to a place where you finally grow up and you become aware of your need of God's saving grace. And you believe and you trust and you declare your allegiance to Christ and then you are justified. You are born again. Born. You are born as a brand new person, a new creation. It is a birth. A lot of times today, people are uh, born again Christians, are sort of critiqued or criticized because they're supposed to be born again, but sometimes they're hypocritical and they don't actually act any different. It's not an excuse for not letting God change you, but understand that it is a birth. We understand with babies that they're not capable of sitting still for a whole church service, right? They will make noises and stuff. And that's okay. They're babies. We understand it. But we understand that they will grow. They will mature until they become different and more able to sit patiently through a really long sermon. <laughs> and the same is true of born-again Christians. There is a birth. It is a moment when they become a new creation, but they still have a lot of growing to do. And so a lot of times born-again Christians haven't completely changed yet, but they're on that path, and they will grow to that point one day. But there is a moment when a person looks through the grace of God, they, they, they recognize that they actually need God's grace. They cannot save themselves. They cannot be good enough. It is only by God's grace they can be forgiven and saved. And at that moment, the justifying grace of God changes them into a new creation. Have you been born again? This goes all the way back to what Christ says in John 3, 3. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. There are some signs that show that you are born again. Number one, do you really believe and trust in Jesus? If you are born again, you will really believe in him and you will trust him. And again, remember, that's not just simply saying in your mind, yeah, I believe that he was born of a virgin and yeah, I believe that this happened and that happened. And no, believing is when you're willing to take a taste and you trust him, you're going to follow and do what he says. Do you believe? Do you trust? Number two, are you fruity? If you are born again, you'll start to see the fruit of God's spirit growing in your life. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, very conveniently gives us a nice list of some of those fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you beginning to see those fruits in your life? Those are things that God begins to grow in 
people. And you say, well, I'm not a patient person. I understand. Remember, these are fruits. They start as a little tiny. Have you ever eaten an unripe fruit? Like an unripe apple doesn't taste good at all. But eventually it will. And the fruits in our lives, the spiritual fruits are like that too. They have to grow and they have to mature. But they will if you trust God and walk in his path. Number three, is your life changing for the better? If you're born again, you'll start to change for the better. You'll no longer want to live in sin. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but you'll want to do the right thing. And even if you fail or fall, you'll hate that that happened. It will bother you when you mess up. And here's the ironic thing. Before you're born again, since you don't care, you think you're just so perfect. Oh, I'm just the greatest person in the world. But then you are born again. And God gives you new eyes and you start to see all these little character flaws and things that you wish weren't there. It's a sign actually that you are born again because you care. Before you didn't care. If you were a jerk, no, you didn't bother you at all. But now you don't want to be a jerk. So even if you're a little bit of a jerk, it bothers you. Lastly, do you love your neighbor? as yourself. This is a sign of a born again Christian. You'll start to love your neighbor. And I have to point this out because unfortunately in the English language, we, we use this word love in so many different ways. You know, I love Thanksgiving turkey <laughs> because it tastes so good and it makes me feel so fine and makes me want to take a nap after dinner. But that's not the kind of love we're talking about. The love we're talking about is the same as the sacrificial love of Christ. He didn't want to die on the cross. He didn't want to feel the pain of nails going through his hands and feet. He suffered that shame and that pain because of love. It was sacrificial. And that's the kind of love we're talking about. You may not like your neighbor, but you can love your neighbor. and Do what's best for them. Sacrifice for their sake. It is doing. So these are some signs that you are born again. And Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Have you been born again? I challenge you in these final moments of our time together, examine your heart. Think about your life and make sure that you've got this matter in your heart settled before you leave today. Tom is going to come and lead us in our closing hymn. Perhaps now is a good time to take advantage of another distinctive part of our Methodist identity. We love for people to come at the end of the service and to pray to God. We love it so much we even put padding on the little prayer rail so that you can do it more comfortably. You are welcome at this altar to come and to pray for any reason at all.